The drive-through is GTM's monthly news episode and is sponsored in part by organizations like hpdejunkie.com, Hooked on Driving, AmericanMuscle.com, CollectorCarGuide.net, Project Motoring, Garage Style Magazine, and many others. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor of the drive-through, look no further than www.gtmotorsports.org. Click About and then Advertising. Thank you again to everyone that supports Grand Touring Motorsports, our podcast, Break Fix, and all the other services we provide. Recording in progress. I mean, we're back in the studio. Can you believe it? It feels like it's been forever. I feel like I never left the studio. It was a good vacation. I think our fans are happy to see us back. For our fans that have been living under a rock and may not know, did you know that Eric went to France? Benvenue, right? Is that what they say in French? Benvenue. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to drive through episode number 35. This is our monthly recap where we've put together a menu of automotive, motorsport, and random car adjacent news. Now, let's pull up to window number one for some automotive news. It's back the streets, back. All right. Well, we are going to talk about a little bit of world travel. Not only did I go to France, I went to a couple other places as well. And Tanya joined me on part of this epic adventure. I think you joined me on the epic adventure. That's true. But we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the great race, the 100th anniversary of Le Mans. I thought you were going to say the great race, the Canadian you know, F1 race. Well, we're going to get to that in a little bit. Yeah. So did you guys watch Le Mans? What's, what's that? I watched Le Mans. A significant portion of it. I did not stay up all night. <laughs> I watched about two or three hours of the 24-hour race, but I, I have a toddler and I was very busy going to swim lessons and being a good father. He's not old enough to understand the races yet, so I had to do other things. Lamar is my annual Father's Day gift from my family. I ask for two things, be able to watch the race and to be able to watch the race in peace. <laughs> my father's day gift was to go to baltimore for a concert so uh, i chose music over cars which music is my number one cars are my number two so you did some traveling like you went to baltimore that's like a foreign country from where you live now <laughs> it's going to a third world country not france <laughs> that's like <laughs> wow. going to somalia you driven in paris that's all i gotta say holy smokes can't be as bad as driving through baltimore it's worse actually picture it paris 2023 i'm doing my best to still get here It is like Dante's Inferno. Paris itself is like nine inception rings of hell. And it's like one beltway after the other. I guess they're districts or rings or whatever they call them. And I had heard rumor about what it was like to drive in France. And you guys have heard me rant about driving in the DMV before. But nothing is like driving in Paris. Nothing is like driving in Paris in a Fiat that you weren't supposed to have in the first place. So it all sort of goes wrong from the very beginning. When I showed up at the Enterprise counter and they said, well, sir, your car is not here. What was your original car? Was it a Chevy Impala? No, no, no. (laughs) I was supposed to get a Twingo and I was super excited about that. Even smaller. Wait, that's the electric car, isn't it? No, the Twingo is like this classic Renault. They kind of replaced the R4 and some of the other people movers that have been around forever. It's sort of like the new Beetle, right? The size of your shoe, Brad. Yeah, I I thought I saw them on Top Gear a lot. They're small. They're like a Fiat 500 size. You say Twingo, all I think is Oingo Boingo. My car wasn't there when I was waiting to pick it up. So I had to wait like 45 minutes and then it finally showed up. I don't know where they drudged this car up, but it was a Fiat 500 E, but hybrid, not electric. So it was an EH 
It was a 500 eh. Yeah, and that's sort of how it drove too. It was a manual, but it was a three-cylinder non-turbo hybrid. I will say that 70 mile an hour happens eventually. And when you add two other full-size adults in said vehicle plus luggage, yeah, I got a little suspect. So was it any different driving a manual hybrid versus a manual dice car? It was exactly the same. Basically, what it did was it had this sort of like launch control type system. It really only worked under certain RPMs. It still had like the engine shutoff capabilities and all this kind of stuff. And so it was really designed for short stop and go, especially in the French traffic where it took us over an hour and a half just to get out of Paris onto the main highway to go to Le Mans. So at that point, it was consuming electricity instead of gas, stuff like that. What I learned though was with the manual transmission EV, unlike the Honda CRZ hybrid and some and this new Supra that we talked about last time we got together, the Fiat, if you didn't disengage the auto shutoff, the car would like freak out and stall, especially if you tried to do like a rolling second gear takeoff. So I actually figured out how to disable the system partially. And so then it was a lot more drivable because otherwise it would sort of like buck. It was really annoying. And I kept telling David from MIE Racing, who was my travel companion over this trip, I was like, it's not me. And he goes, no, I can tell it's the car. It's doing something weird. And, you know, it's like, I drive a manual every day. It's it's, it's a Fiat. It's easy. Hmm. Once we got out of Paris, then it's just country roads. It's like any other highway, that sort of thing. And, And Le Mans is in the middle of nowhere. But I will say this to sort of wrap up the thought about Paris and your comment about Baltimore. At least in Baltimore, when it rains, the water doesn't create a waterfall from one overpass to the other overpass and the third overpass underneath it and then slam on the roof of your car where it's nearly impossible to see. And then when you get out from underneath the waterfall, your windshield is covered in cigarette butts and trash because Paris is filthy. So you're saying you've never been under in the tunnel, you know, going into or out of Baltimore. The tunnel doesn't leak, at least as far as I know. <laughs> no, no, but I've been in situations where just that, you yeah. know, happens. There was some sort of clog in the drainage system and you basically drove through a shower to get into the tunnel and out. I am not one for driving in the city anymore anyway, although I don't mind the European driving etiquette. They still have one, at least, you know, passing is very easy. Everybody's moving at very good speeds. They're situationally aware. You're not looking over seeing somebody eating a bag of Doritos on their cell phone and not paying attention to driving. Hardly any Teslas I saw when I was there, you know, the typical BMWs, Renaults, Volkswagens, all that kind of stuff you come to expect. The aggressiveness in Paris is unparalleled. They change lanes, whether you're there or not. They push against you. I mean, you could reach out and basically smack somebody in the face. That's how close they are. They will just cut in wherever they feel like it, whether you're going fast or going slow. Turn signals, might as well not even have them. Absolutely insane in the city. When you get back out on the highway, not a big deal. It it is what it is. It's just typical European driving at that point. But in Paris proper, it's nuts. Yeah, it sounds like driving in New York, basically. 100%. If they're an inch ahead of you. They have right of way. hundred percent. Yes. hundred percent. It's not how, how many Peugeots were driving. <laughs> you know, there were a lot. I got to tell you, I got to spot the new 208, like all over the place. The new 208 GTI specifically is a really good looking car. Like if I lived over there, I'd be considering buying one of those right now. It is really nice. Very well equipped. Very well appointed. 
I got to see one up close in the interior and stuff. I also got to see some Shirakos, including a Shirako R. So that is still at the top of my list of things to buy while I was playing car spotting over there. But there's a lot of neat stuff. You get Mm -hmm. super jealous really quick driving around over there because you realize there's so many cars that we're just never going to get. Speaking of the Scirocco, not to you know go off on a tangent, when did that first come out? The newest model, the one you Mark like. Five time frame. Okay, so mid two thousands. Yeah. Okay, so twenty five year rule. Sometime in the twenty thirties, you can. That's right. You should be able to import one. I just got to wait a little bit longer. Just a little bit. That two hundred eight is pretty hot though. That is that is a hot car. You get to Le Mans. Le Mans. and <laughs> the way we came in because we came in from Paris, we're going east to west and we drop in right behind Tetra's like the famous restaurant that's right there at turn I guess it's like turn five you don't know really know what to expect because you're skirting the outside of the track and the track is comprised mainly of country roads and so it's chaos there's no organization the other thing I learned about France is they pretty much expect you to be an adult and they'll give you pointers to a certain point And then after that, they're like, well, you're on your own. We got tired. We're not putting up any more signs. And we must have run out of money because there aren't any more signs to put up anyway. You get lost really quickly because the level of caring kind of seems to stop. And Le Mans is huge. I never understood how grandiose it was until I got there. Like we look at tracks like VIR and the Glen and Laguna Seca and the ones in Texas and even some of the biggest NASCAR tracks at Talladega or even Indianapolis, you're like, these are coliseums of greatness. And you get to Le Mans, you're like, these are turns three and four and five. And that's basically it. I mean, it's just, it's so big, just massive. And I was tracking all of our walking that we were doing. And regrettably, my decision not to get a scooter or whatever, some other alternate form of transportation, because moving around by car was near impossible. We ended up clocking, kid you not, almost 80, that's eight zero miles of walking in five days. I mean, my calves look like your calves now, Brad. That's all I'm saying. Well, they probably come down now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the track is just massive, right? Eight and a half miles and change. Bugatti, the inner circuit, the one we play on Forza sometimes, is actually a lot smaller. And we walked most of that too. And you're like, oh, this is a really cool motorcycle track, HBDE track, go-karting. You can do a lot of stuff with it. But it seems bigger until you see it in context of everything else at Le Mans. It's just, it's huge. The other thing you don't realize is the amount of elevation change there is at Le Mans. Like in all the video games, just like any other video game or simulator, it seems really flat and it's not, not at all. Pretty interesting. You know, it's in the rolling countryside and all that kind of stuff. Before I went, you know, we talked about different vantage points around the track. Where would you guys think would be probably the best place to watch? On your TV, in the tent. (laughs) I like the way Tanya thinks. (laughs) Because then you get to see everything. (laughs) I'll put it this way. I had high hopes. Tetra Rouge was a disappointment. It's really tight back there. There's not a lot of room for people to stand. But what you do get, especially at night, is this overwhelming sense of how fast those cars are because they're coming down the hill already at full tilt and getting on the Mulsanne, prepare for launch speed at 200 miles an hour kind of deal. And it's just absolutely bonkers. And some people come through there flat out. 
Some will set up the brakes just to nose the car in a little bit and away they go, like just absolute warp drive. That was kind of cool, but to stand there all day with no grandstands, shoulder to shoulder with other people that don't know the boundaries of personal space. Yeah, I was like, we need to move on from that. Another one that was super disappointing was actually the Porsche curves. And you see it on TV and it looks super cool with the Porsche thing written out and all this kind of stuff. You're sitting on a hill and you can only sit on the inside of the turn. And you got to hike through two campgrounds to get there. It's not close, you know, like anything is around there. But the vantage point kind of sucked. And the cars are just buzzing by. And it's sort of the same effect you get at Road Atlanta in turns six and seven, where they just sort of come into the corner out of nowhere and then they disappear because they're off at a million miles an hour. Although I will say it was one of the best places to hear the cars other than the front straight if you really wanted to be up close to them. And we'll talk more about the Garage 56 car as we go along. But I mean, talk about a car beyond the level of any Corvette of the past that the sound just ripples right through you as it's going through Porsche curves. We went down to Ford Chicane, which is where the Ferris wheel is. And at three o'clock in the morning, when you're extremely tired after many days, it is absolutely gorgeous up there. I highly recommend it. You do have to pay to go on the Ferris wheel. It's a whole separate thing. It's not too expensive. Some of the video and the pictures we took were just absolutely unbelievable. And you can see really far out especially onto the backside of the track coming from the direction of like Arnage when you're up in the Ferris wheel. So that was totally worth it. The front straight is pretty awesome during non-race time because otherwise you can't get there. It is so jam-packed with people and security guards and like all this stuff. It's really not a fun place to be. But what I learned through the process is Le Mans is a week long thing. It's a week of sleepless nights. There's a lot of stuff going on and being at the front straight, especially during night practice, which I don't think many of us knew was a thing because they don't televise it. So ACO 18, the Porsche boxes, that was a great place to watch off the main straight, your high up, great pictures, all this kind of stuff. We went there at night during one of the practice sessions because it was open. It's called a tribune is what they call their grandstands. And you have to have special passes to get up there and you have to be part of the Porsche box and all this kind of stuff. But because it wasn't race day yet, we could get up there. So we went up there like late at night. David and I were chatting, we're taking pictures down into Glickenhaas and Toyota. We're kind of, you know, using the binoculars and seeing what they're doing. And by the way, we found out there's a curfew in the pit boxes. They're only allowed to work to a certain point. They got to shut it down. So we're just sitting there chatting you know, taking it in, talking about the experience at that point. And there were security guards like looming up there, right? We had asked him, is it okay if we come up here? Yeah, yeah, sure. We're going to take some pictures. We're going to hang out. Yeah, yeah, no problem. We're, we're open all night. Okay, cool. It got really quiet. <laughs> it's like two in the morning, I guess, at this point. And David's like, man, I got to pee. And so he disappears and he comes like right back. And I'm like, what happened? He goes, they're locking us in. What? He goes, they're leaving. They weren't going to say a damn thing. <laughs> I pack up all, you know, my stuff, my camera, whatever. And we run out and they're like, oh, yes, we were, we were going. And I'm like, we were still out there. I'm like, it's okay. Not our problem. I'm like, <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. How would you have gotten out? Like, is there a way to have gotten out? I think we would have set off a bunch of alarms and stuff. They were locking us in. And I'm like, well, are we going to go over the front of the balcony and like rappel down, like spelunking? <laughs> That's the other thing. The track is live all week 
for almost all day, every day. There's only a few hours where it gets quiet and it gets disturbing because you're like, there's all that ambient white noise of the cars, constantly something going on. And so that's a little strange. Dunlop's pretty awesome. Not going to deny it. It's probably one of the most fun places to watch. There are grandstands there, but it gets packed very, very quickly. It's hard to get in and out. The bridge is really narrow. There is an advantage if you're an ACO member, which we'll talk about in a little bit, where you can be on the backside of Dunlop, where I took a lot of pictures from and and so did some of our other guys and that's a great place to be the downhill s's are also awesome but hard to get to you have to climb these really tall banks to get up there to be able to see and it's jam-packed and and people are getting these spots during the race on average three to five hours before the race even started so if you didn't pick where you wanted to be it was already packed So absolutely insane. The only part of the track where we didn't get to go was Arnage and Indy, which are the two slowest corners. You know, after you come off the Mulsanne, it's the hard left and then the hard right. And then they make their way back. The French guys from Bosch that we were hanging out with, Thibaut and that whole team, Max and all those guys. Hey, if you're listening, they made the trek to Arnage and Indy. And would you guys like to guess how long it took to walk there? A year. <laughs> well, this is like our, what should I buy guesses? Like two hours. Three and a half hours one way. Because it is the furthest point away from everything. And you have to walk through like the town of Arnage to get there. It's super far. And I regret not going, but I'll do that next time because that takes a lot of planning. And I would love to have a scooter or something to be able to do that because it's just too much. Is there room for you to be scootering or yes or something else? Yes. Bikes and scooters were all over the place. And every time I saw one buzz by me, I'm like, I'm super jealous right now. My feet hurt. And yeah. I thought you were going to buy a scooter and do the whole. I was. And so, you know what I, my inner cheapness as a racer came out and you know what I did? I ended up buying a really nice pair. Did you get Heelys? You got a pair of Heelys. No, I got Hawkas, these European, like three sizes, too big for your feet running shoes. And I will say that saved me because of all this walking I did. But yeah, it would have been nice to be mobile and be able to get around a lot faster. You should have just taken rollerblades. They sell Hawkas here. Oh, I bought them here. Oh, okay. (laughs) You know what I like to talk about. I know. Everywhere I go. We hungry. We hungry. We we always hungry. I was going to bring up food. I was going to bring up baguettes. So let's talk about the food situation. Brad's a foodie. As in, I like food. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> Hanging out with a gentleman named Ty White. Hey, Ty, if you're listening, by the way, fun fact, he is the White House you see in every video game at the Nürburgring. That's where he lives. He lives at the track there. So that's actually super cool. So he's been to Le Mans many, many times. And he was very much our yogi on this trip because he's go here, go here, do these things, whatever. And he told me years ago in the not too recent past, Le Mans was like a food desert. There was nothing. You had to fend for yourself. Can you imagine being there camping? For a week. (laughs) Right? And you didn't plan ahead? Well, you starved. So now they have these, especially for the 100th, they build a lot more facilities. There's a lot more like food trucks. There's this really cool brasserie that we ate at twice because it was actually a really good deal. And there weren't a lot of lines because people were like, I don't want to sit down dinner. I just want a hot dog or, you know, whatever they could find. But since we were, as the French guys like to make fun of us repeatedly, we were le glamping. Food was provided in the morning, at least breakfast, and they had a lounge and stuff like that near where our campsite was. Which, by the way, if you're going to do Le Mans, do the glamping. It is totally worth it. 
considering how close we were to the track and all that kind of stuff. You get to breakfast, especially the first day, and I'm starving. I don't even know what time zone I'm in. I'm like, I just want to eat something. And I'm thinking crepes, and I'm thinking fresh fruit, and brie, and all this stuff is running through my head. And I walk in. and You left all that stuff in Paris. (laughs) Apparently, because when I walked in, I looked at the table. I looked at Ty. I looked back at the table. And he said, oh, I guess there's bread for breakfast. There was literally piles of baguettes, a couple croissants, more piles of baguettes. And I kid you not, a three-gallon bucket of Nutella, which I was like, (laughs) I'm not really sure what to do with all this. You put the Nutella on the bread. It puts the Nutella on the bread. But you don't double dip. You don't double dip. You don't double dip your chip. This would have been easy to accomplish had the baguette not been a weapon of mass destruction. It was a guillotine. It was made out of concrete. I could have beat it on the table and it still wouldn't have broke. It was so hard. You know, afterwards I was like, oh, maybe the, you know, that's the stale baguettes. You can make a cafe au lait or something like that. But no, if you ordered coffee, what did you get? A little teeny you know, with your three fingers out, not even your pinky espresso. And I'm like, give me a freaking cup of coffee. You American. I know. You're not in America, you glamper. You know, such a, such a, just a, I don't know. So what's better, that food or the lunch at Watkins Glen for a hooked on driving event? (sighs) Man, you know, don't make me don't make me make that decision because it's a tough one. Shout out to HOD. And then the second day, I watched the guy make eggs for people that were there waiting hungry again, staring at bread in a walk and burn them. Because there's nothing like waking up in the morning to the smell of burnt eggs. Burnt eggs, stale baguette, and Nutella. In a country where they invented the crepe and the omelets and all this stuff, you think they would know how to do this. You know, somebody told me afterwards, it's because they don't know how to cook in mass like we do here in America, like for armies and stuff. You know, they cook in small quantities. I'm like, okay. Because they use our army. Even here, they cook a crepe one crepe at a time. Could you imagine cooking crepes for a crowd of people at a race? It would take longer than the race to cook the crepes. And there were crepe places and you could get crepes and they looked super good. But I was like, you know what? I'm lip-lumping. I would like my breakfast, right? Now, I will say the ice cream was super good as it always is in Europe because it's gelato based and, you know, all that kind of thing. They had fast food pasta, which was actually really good. And I saw how they made it and that was pretty cool. But what got me is one of the evenings, and I don't remember which one it was because it all blurs together. We were joking about how Mexican food would be this atrocity. You'll like never find it in France. It's like complete sacrilege and whatever. And we're walking down by the go-kart track to head towards where David's camp was, which by the way, was a 45 minute walk from my campsite. Okay. (laughs) So we're walking down there and we see these two young guys sitting on a scaffolding and they got these burritos in their hand and we literally stopped dead and turned. First words were German out of David's mouth wondering if they spoke German. Don't <laughs> ask me why. He did that quite a bit. And they're like, no, no, no. And we're like, English? They're like, yes. Where did you get the burrito? They're like, not burrito, kebab. And by the time the word kebab got out of his mouth, David was in a full sprint. Like, I was like, what? I'm looking around going, what the hell just happened? And there's this food truck and it's a kebab truck. And then I meet up with him and he's like, dude, you don't understand. European kebabs. This is like legit. I'm buying like six of them or whatever. I'm like, uh, okay. They were unbelievably good. It was probably the best meal I had at the track. I mean, I can still taste them in my mouth right now. I thought of you, Brad. So better than New York street meat. Dude, it was so good. (laughs) So good. 
But thinking about the food situation, Le Mans, it's a a small French town. Do they have markets and grocery stores and stuff where you can leave where they're running the race to can you as a camper or a glamper can you take a cooler fill it with some ice or something and get your own provisions and do it yourself yes and no so we met these very nice canadians that were team corvette all the way i'm sorry for team corvette and we'll talk about that more in a minute they were going into like Arnage or going into Le Mans. And then there's these tiny little grocery stores. You have to imagine though, that these grocery stores are selling out quickly. They're only really designed to sustain the people that live there during the off season, during the non-race season, because Le Mans is built around the French countryside. There's not a lot out there. There's a lot of farms. There are like two little markets, you know, none of the, the little farmettes or the farmer's markets are open. There's like a couple restaurants, the Tetra Rouge, was closed as far as we could tell. That's poor planning of all those business owners. They can't support it, right? And so that's why Lamont proper had to do something on campus because otherwise, how do you feed all these people? How long did it take you to get from Paris to Lamont? Three hours. Okay, so you could technically get your provisions in a surrounding city. There was a grocery store between Paris and Lamont, yes. Yeah, you can get your provisions. Well, and I'm just... there's a lot of nothing between Paris and Le Mans. When you get on that highway, and I don't remember the highway number right now, it looks like those wonderful Fellini films where it's just someone on a train looking at farmland and there's one little house. It's like Chateau Picard. And then you pass Chateau Picard and then there's nothing for another 30 minutes. And then there's another vineyard, right? It's like zero. And when we came back from Le Mans, we went off the highway. We took these back roads, zipping through. And the Fiat was great, right? Narrow, little farm roads. And you're just blasting through there. And I'm watching Mark like grabbing the door handle and David's in the back laughing. The wheat was as tall as the Fiat was. There was nothing. So you're just like, okay. And typical of European highways too, if you miss your exit, you're going to go another 20 minutes before you can turn around. So it's one of those situations too. Things are really spread apart. There's not that like road Atlanta where you're like, well, we're going to drive to, you know, Buford or whatever and come back. And it's like, no, 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 no. So basically what you're saying is the reason the French people are so thin is because all they do is drink wine and smoke cigarettes and eat stale bread. stale baguettes. <laughs> Yes, when I go on a diet, I'm going to go to France. <laughs> French diet. Yeah, French diet. Well, on the other side of the race, you know, things you don't get to see on TV, checkpoints everywhere. It's the 100th Le Mans. A, we're on full alert, constantly scanning your badge and your wristbands, and you had to have different color things, you know, depending on what you had access to and all this kind of stuff, because apparently the eco-friendly protesters wanted to stop the race and they had attempted to actually during practice before we even got there so they were all on high alert and all this kind of stuff and apparently they've done this at other races too because they're protesting motorsport and all this kind of thing luckily none of that happened as you guys know the race went off without a hitch no no issues no protesters or anything like that but they were definitely concerned something was going to happen didn't really affect us considering we're like well if we go to this quarter of the track we're you know three hours from whatever is happening at the start finish line so it doesn't really matter the big debate was who was going to win i ask you guys before you saw the race you know how it ended who did you think was going to win the number 56 car the toyota the, the garage oh, 56. The garage 56 car okay i don't know 
It could have been anyone. I went in with low expectations. Lowered expectations. The Ferrari looked like it was going to be the fastest. Although I always root for Jackie Chan, but I don't think the Jackie Chan no, cars were in. No this Jackie year. Chan. No Jackie Chan. Yeah. I was hoping that Peugeot would win. You know, secretly, they were my dark horse. They were my underdog because the car is legit hot it is a sexy car it has no arrow like the rest of them it's designed specifically for that track like i wanted ferrari to win but i also wouldn't gonna be upset if peugeot won well there's a lot of politics people want to see toyota dethrone porsche's back ferrari hadn't won in 50 years what looks better on the cover of the magazine right and in some respects we all know the last few years with toyota it's been a joke they'll sacrifice a lamb from lmp2 like rebellion or somebody else or even the glick and house cars you know whatever and they'll put them up against toyota and they don't stand a chance this year toyota had real competition i mean i literally had this debate for an entire week with people about who was going to win listening to them and and my final word was always basically the same i think it's going to be ferrari and you guys can't count out cadillac and they're like oh what does cadillac know and i'm like cadillac's been to le mans before but the car they're running has been proven time and time again at Rolex and other races. It's an older car, but it doesn't matter. It can do it. And in the same way, they were laughing at the Garage 56 Camaro, like, oh, it's never going to make it. It's going to run out of tires, blah, 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 blah. And we got really close to that reality. It was really close there for a moment with Ferrari first, Cadillac second, Toyota and the Squirrel and all that stuff, whatever, you know, but... <laughs> I think at the end, the bigger disappointment was Porsche. There were a lot of Porsche people there. I'm a Porsche fan myself, but I was also playing devil's advocate during this whole debate to say, well, it's not really a Porsche. And that would get under people's skin. Sorry, Ty. I'm still telling you it's not a Porsche. Why? It's a Delara chassis. It's an Audi engine. It's all this other stuff. It's sort of like the Formula One car. They're going to slap their badge on it and we'll call it a Porsche. I was telling people, I think the 963 is short-lived, especially with that debut of the 9X that came out during Le Mans, which looks a lot like the Lambo, looks a lot like the Bugatti that has been previewed. They're moving in that direction of car. This 963 isn't going to make it to the next Le Mans. They're going to have something else. The only reason it would be on the roster next year is if the new car isn't ready, which is a pure Porsche. Maybe this was just to get their foot in the door. I think so. I really just to, to get it because they had to be at the hundredth. Yep. They did not want to miss the party. So they brought whatever they could slap together, knowing they're still working on something better. My sentiments exactly. So again, I am proud for Ferrari. That 499 is an amazing car. It sounds good. It looks good. It's hella fast. It's qualifying times for the Hyperpole were just unbelievably good. And, you know, people, you should have heard that. Oh, it's going to burn up like the Formula One car. They're going to. And then at the end, all the memes suddenly change. Well, too bad the Formula One cars can't be like the 499. Why can't the Formula One get their shit together? Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, come on, guys. Talking out of both sides of your mouth. But that's that's racing, right? I mean, we get it. We have our loyalties. We have our fans. I was really happy to see Ferrari win and Toyota finally get beaten by a legitimate manufacturer. <laughs> but I do have some rich people things. If you are a true hardcore Ferrari fan, you could still get VIP access to the Ferrari boxes. I mean, Porsche was like giving them away after two hours. They were like, y'all could just come on in here and have a good time. It's all good. Would you like to guess how much? Too much. More than $50. More than you can afford, pal. <laughs> $8,000. What do I get for my 8,000 stale baguettes? 
I don't know. I forget. Yeah, I stopped when they said eight thousand dollars. I was like, nope, don't need to know anything more. Too rich for my blood. A hundred percent. Do I get a baby Bugatti? Yeah. <laughs> baby Enzo. Yeah. Do I get a baby Enzo? For a whopping fifty euros, you could have become a member of the Automobile Club of the West. The ACO has started their own U.S. region. Pretty awesome. They have lounges all over the track, especially behind Dunlop. There's one at ACO 18, which is where the Porsche grandstands are, and a couple other places of the track. You get a 40% discount on swag and other things, and food was discounted if you're an ACO member. That 50 euros, 60 bucks or whatever came out to U.S., actually work to our advantage. Now, I will say the swag at Le Mans was kind of wah-wah. I was getting all the emails from the ACO before the race, and a lot of the stuff I wanted either wasn't available, it was cheaper originally online, or what I wanted didn't look the same when I saw it in person. So what I ended up doing was ordering the stuff either while I was there, what I really wanted, or I ordered it when I got back. And they're still actually running clearance sales on selected sizes and stuff that's left over from Le Mans. You can actually save a boatload, especially if you're an ACO member on any of the swag. So that being said, I got an opportunity to, spoiler alert, meet with the new president and ambassador of the ACO USA, David Lowe. And he's coming on the show in a little while to talk about the new club, why you should become a member, what the benefits are going to be to the American audience, things like that, including access to the race commercial free for those of us here in the U.S. Instead of having to wonder how the heck we can watch it. I did have breakfast with one of the Le Mans legends, Margie Smith-Haas. She was the first American woman to run at Le Mans about four years prior to Lynn St. James, and she did that in a Porsche 935. So we hope to have her on the show as well. I got some lowered expectations as well. (laughs) So I posted two memes on social media. You can find it at Grand Touring Motorsports on Instagram and everywhere else that we have social media. And people were saying, well, where'd you get that picture of the guy in the hat? And I'm like, I took that picture. I have the original. I zoomed in on him. He didn't see me taking his picture, but I could not pass up the opportunity to have a Burt Reynolds SNL Jeopardy moment. But it looks like What's his name from Top Gear? James May. Yes. It does look like James May, but that hat was Burt Reynolds' big hat. Like, it was so funny. And he had an all-red Ferrari suit. He's a British guy. We actually talked to him. Very nice. But I could not pass up the opportunity to post that meme. And the second one came by way of Mark Shank, who caught this guy (laughs) while he was taking photographs. Apparently, on your checklist of things for Le Mans, you need to remember your hat your radio headset, and your radar gun. He's got like a hundred tattoos and they're all Le Mans. They're all Christopher Walken. No, he's got like the Dunlop tire arch across his back. It's like Jackie Ix and Tom Christensen on there. It's I like mean, he's got Porsche and the Porsche symbol. He's got so many men's heads. I thought it was Christopher Walken, the one on the right no. shoulder. <laughs> Let's say Christopher Walken. <laughs> so when Mark showed me this picture, we had this whole discussion about, apparently he was down by pit out and he's radar gunning the cars on pit exit. And we're like, is he going to radio the officials? Is he like the clandestine undercover pit marshal? Like, what's the point of bringing a radar gun to Lamont? And how did he get it through security? I mean, there's so many questions. This is like a French Florida man. He hit it in his butt crack. Uh, was there actually security? Were they checking stuff? Yes, they were looking through your bags. Maybe he's an authorized radar gun. He definitely didn't hide it in his wife beater. <laughs> that is. <laughs> Hey, it's tie-dye though, okay? That makes it classy. 
Is that tie dye, or he's just he had a a bick that blew or up? Or he murdered a Smurf? I'm now, not sure. I I'd say this guy was from America, but unfortunately. I don't think that's the case. No, nope. I think he's German. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> he's definitely German. He spreckens the Deutsch. He spreckens the radar gun. We're going to do a little lug here because one of the, my biggest pet peeves about being at Le Mans. Tell us what really grinds your gears. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yes. Uh, yeah, the <laughs> She's never going to really live that down. The baguettes were terrible. What really hardens your baguette? <laughs> oh man well you know it's a it's a cultural thing right so it was like i don't know a red nose on a clown you could tell the kiwis the canadians the aussies the americans germans from everybody else because you know why we know how to queue up in the line when we want to wait for something i mean we might not be the most pleasant people we might not be the most patient people but we know how to get in the line to wait for something the French and some of the others, I mean, no offense, we love them all. They're our brothers in arms, especially in motorsport. But this first come, first serve, I'm at a bar trying to get the bartender's attention while I'm smoking a cigarette three inches from your ear and shouting in French as obnoxiously as you possibly can just got on my nerves like you wouldn't believe. And I couldn't believe that smoking was still as openly public and rampant as it was over there. It's just, we're so used to now, you know, people change the vaping, which is, you know, neither here nor there. You haven't been to Europe in a while. Jesus Christ. I, I guess I don't know, but it was evident from the cigarette butts and everything everywhere. But it was just like, I never realized, and maybe even it's a post COVID thing where it's like, I need my elbows worth of space. Please back off, get in a line. I was here before you. It was super irritating and it's cultural, right? And you're like, oh, okay, uh, all right. The other thing I learned, thanks, David, was you don't tip in France. And if you do, it's like super low. It's like a dollar or two because apparently everybody over there is salary and tipping is very taboo and all this kind of thing. And tipping is like an American thing. You don't really tip in Europe in general. Yeah, yeah. it was, it was we, weird. Yeah. I don't know. It, it was a culture shock that I was pleasant to learn. And I will remember that. But the whole the way you fight to the front to get the attention of somebody. And it's just like, ugh, whatever. And don't lie to me. Y'all know how to speak English. I feel like I would have gotten into a lot of fights. You know, I, I needed a bodyguard. That's for sure. Freedom fries. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so after I left France, I went to Denmark and I joined my family because we decided we were going to take the kids to, of all places, the home of Lego, which is Denmark. I won't go into all the details of Denmark, but I will say this. It's sort of like Hawaii. It's a chain of islands. You know, they get bigger, all this kind of thing. Copenhagen, the capital is on the smallest and it's within an hour of Oslo, Norway and of Stockholm, Sweden. It's beautiful. It's super clean. It's very modern. I kept joking that that's where all the German hippies were exiled to, you know, stuff like that. It's amazing. It was very different. It was a stark contrast to being in France and really enjoyed it, had a great time. And one of the things I learned while I was over there is by 2025, mass transit vehicles, especially taxis and buses and things like that, will be all EVs in Denmark. It's the law. We didn't rent a car while we were there, so no more Fiat 500 stories, but we did take the trains, which were amazing. And then we took some cabs, which in our case were mostly Mercedes. And so I got to ride in some of these new Mercedes EVs that we talk about on the show. Fit and finish was nothing less than exquisite, even though we've always joked that Mercedes are just European taxi cabs. They are, in fact. But 
The interior was plush. It was luxurious. It was German. It was what you expected from a Mercedes. But if you had blindfolded me and threw me in the trunk, other than having no noise, would I have known that it wasn't an ice-powered car? Probably not. It was very nice. It was just interesting to even talk to the cabbies. Everybody in Denmark is very friendly. It's known as one of the happiest places in the world to live and work and things like that. And so people are very friendly and, and they all do speak English in Denmark. Admittedly, they do. It was great. It was good to learn from all those folks. We actually went and visited some car dealerships while we were there. And we got a guided tour of the new ID7 and the ID3 at City Volkswagen in Copenhagen, which is just outside of Tivoli. And I know Tanya got to see these cars while she was at the CE show. We reported about that on an earlier drive-through, but I actually spotted an Xpeng dealership across the street from the Volkswagen dealership. So I, I thought that was interesting because we joked about like, who's this, but where are these guys, these Chinese EV manufacturers, where'd they come from? Well, they got a dealership in Copenhagen. Of all places. Right. Now I do want to quickly talk about the Legoland experience and I don't want to talk about amusement parks and things like that, but I want to mention that Legos are not just for kids. All right. Our generation is in charge at Lego. There is a lot of car stuff going on, as evidenced by the speed champions, the Technic stuff, all the things you can buy on the shelf here in the U.S. There's some really cool stuff overseas that we won't get. But I will say the Ferrari Experience Center at Legoland, all petrol heads. We're all just, just doing the church nod right now. It was like the Holy Church of Ferrari. You just walked in there. It was amazing. Bunch of stuff on display, all these activities. My girls were into it. We did it for a while. Took some pictures by a life-size 599 that they built completely out of Legos other than the wheels. Absolutely gorgeous, you know, stuff like that. But I will say there's a video you guys got to check out if you haven't seen it. We captured the infamous legendary long-running Legoland traffic school. And it is the cutest and most hilarious thing you have ever seen. So cannot recommend that enough. I got deeper into the world of Lego upon returning home. And I learned some new things, some new techniques while I was there. Lots of really interesting stuff while we were in Denmark. And I learned about a website, maybe in more detail than I knew before. And that's rebrickable.com. And that allows you to take some Lego sets and turn them into some other really cool things without having to buy new parts. And I mentioned before that, you know, under some rich people things, there was some kits that you could get from like the block zone to build, you know, different kinds of automotive models that are out I found the best of the best, at least in my opinion. You take Dom Toretto's Charger from Fast and the Furious, and did you know you can turn it into the 1989 Batmobile, the Michael Keaton Batmobile? It is the hotness. And so I went ahead and did it. I have some pictures on doing the conversion. Just a lot of fun. And so that kind of reignited some stuff for me where it's just like good way to spend time with the kids. They're interested in, you know, building their little towns, but also in the engineering side with the cars and stuff. So that's been a lot of fun. So if you're out there looking for maybe a different hobby, something new, don't discount Lego. That's for sure. And then to round out our showcase here of world travel, Tanya and I, I guess she was right. I went with her. The great French colony of Quebec in Canada to the city of Montreal. So I couldn't get away from the French this summer if I tried. <laughs> but we had a better baguette. We did. And we had poutine and we had some brisket. We had all sorts of fun food, Brad. The food in Quebec is better than the food in France. Well, it's better than the food in Le Mans. <laughs> 
My dinner in Paris wasn't that great either. But I did sit down for a moment with Jensen Button and Jordan Taylor. It was a great conversation, especially after them completing the race with the Garage 56 car. So that was pretty cool. Wait, how did wait? How did you end up having dinner with them? We were at the hotel and I'm sitting there chatting with David from MIE Racing. And I wasn't even paying attention. He, and he kind of looks over his shoulder and he goes, you know who those two are, right? And I said, yeah. And he goes, let's go over and talk to him. Okay. That's literally how it went down. But then you had a whole meal with them? or you No, just... we, we chatted with them for like five or seven minutes. Oh, okay. They were just kind of hanging out. They were done eating. They were just kind of sitting and drinking. And then we went back to our table. So we sort of abandoned our meal, went and talked to them before they disappeared. So yeah, it was great. I mean, got to meet them. We didn't do the whole, can I take a selfie with you? Can I get your autograph? I'm not that type of guy. Neither is David. It was really great to have that memory to be able to talk to them. So you didn't invite them on the show? Because I've been trying to get Jordan Taylor on the show. I mean, I think Jensen Button would be pretty cool too. So anyway, I, we, we've gone off the rails. Somehow, did, did you know I went to France? Oh, wait, Canada. We're talking about Canada. That's right. You went to France and then Little France. Little France, exactly. Quebec. Petite France. Petite La France. In preparation for this trip, I decided, you know what? I should probably do a service on my Jeep. And I looked at my records and I realized I hadn't changed oil in a year, but I also hadn't done 10,000 miles yet. I was very close though. So I was like, oh crud. So I went through, did all the service. And at this point I decided, you know what? Now is the time we're going to go on in this long journey to Montreal from the DC area and back. I'm going to put it evolve in the diesel and see how it does. Does it match the hype? Does it match everything we talked about on the episode? Granted, I had already put it in the Pacifica and we already noticed the change. It runs cooler, you know, this kind of stuff. But the hybrid's different because the engine doesn't run all the time, right? It wants to be an EV more than it wants to be ice powered. So the one thing I noticed right away, and I think Tanya probably noticed it too, the engine is noticeably quieter immediately. Like as soon as I put the oil in and fired it up, it was definitely quieter. I was like, huh. And, and diesels are loud, right? So you're just like, oh, okay. The telltale sign here is, and this is where the numbers are sort of interesting, right? They talk about MPGs being higher. They talk about horsepower being greater, all this kind of stuff. And it has to do with the composition of the oil and all these things you can learn about on the Evolve Lubricants episode. What I boiled it down to is the oil itself runs significantly cooler than what I had in it before. And on average, it was six to 12 degrees cooler, depending on load, than the oil I was running previously. So if your engine is running cooler, it's going to be more efficient. You're going to waste less fuel, you know, all these kinds of things, blah, blah, blah. So it all sort of adds up in that way. What I didn't see was the four to five more miles per gallon or anything like that. But dot, dot, dot. What I got out of this was overall higher cumulative average. So with mixed city driving, my maximum of 33 miles per gallon, which we already proved at the Green Grand Prix using my near year old oil, I was getting 32 point whatever miles to the gallon during that event. And so I didn't get better than 33 but I was able to hold it there longer. I was able to keep my average higher. So maybe my MPG is higher, but I don't see a huge spike when I do the math at the end of the day, right? It's like, okay, well, I'm getting 32, but I'm getting 32 much longer than I was getting it before. What I guess what I'm trying to say is the numbers sort of add up. Now the bigger question comes in return on investment. Is it worth the cost? Because it is significantly more expensive. I've sent my oil off to Blackstone to have it tested. I'm going to go maybe a service interval and a half. So I'm going to try to put 15,000 miles on the oil. That'll take me like two years, obviously. Test it again and see where we're at. Did the turbo torch it? Did it break down? How did it hold up? If it comes out as clean as it went in, 
to use that phrasing, then it's probably worth it if you can go 2x the oil change with these higher results. The engine's running cooler, you're seeing a higher cumulative average, all that kind of stuff. So for me, going to Montreal was this really awesome experiment, real life testing with this new technology, this new oil by Evolve. So I think I'm satisfied so far, and we'll check back in as we go along. So other cool things we saw in Montreal, right, Tanya? Well, oh my gosh. We saw a VinFast dealer in the mall. Another oddball, what, Vietnamese EV company or something like that? We also saw they were building a VinFast dealer and service, well, I guess maybe more service center, somewhere out, kind of in the middle of nowhere off the highway. So it looks like VinFast is making a move to be in Montreal of all places. So that was kind of cool. Like, again, we read about these and sometimes maybe we chuckle like, who is this brand? But Xpeng, VinFast and others showing up in some of these other countries. If and when they'll ever come to the U.S., we don't know, right? They were at CES. They had a huge display there. So there were some annoying things about being in Montreal, like the traffic laws. I I admittedly some of their traffic signals made no sense like the stoplights didn't make sense as weird as that is to say there would be like double colors sometimes yes which you could interpret to be like no turn on red kind of thing but then there'd be like double green I think at one point, like, what does that mean? And then there was a delay, like part one of the greens would come, but then the other wouldn't. It was a green arrow pointing forward. And yeah. you're like, I've never seen that before. And then so people wouldn't move and you're like, the light's green. And then the other light would turn green and then they would go. <laughs> it's like, I don't understand. <laughs> I've never seen, we only have three choices. <laughs> And you couldn't tell when you were in the city limits or out of the city limits, because apparently there's no right turn on red anywhere in the city limits of Montreal. But then one of the times we went out, we thought we were still, and then I'm sitting at the light trying to be nice. I even changed my speedometer over to kilometers, you know, stuff like that. I'm trying to follow their rules. And this lady's behind me hawking at me. And I'm like, I didn't think I was supposed to turn, but it was one of those stupid lights where it had a straight arrow and a right arrow. And I'm like, I don't know what to do anymore. And a like, diagonal arrow and a back uh, arrow. And it was like 18 symbols. So confusing. It was weird. Unlike Canada, Denmark, the traffic lights, they did something really, really interesting. When it's about to switch from green to red, they flash the yellow in both directions. So you know that it's about to change. And so you get this anticipation like, oh, the light's going to change. That's pretty cool. I found that to be like delightfully refreshing. It's like, oh, look, the light's going to change. Pay attention, sucker. (laughs) Oh, look, the light's going to change. Floor it. (laughs) What's your reaction time? Do you go on the yellow? (laughs) They do drive slower in Canada, although they are situationally aware, like they are in Europe, like passing is easy. People stay in the right lane, zipper merging, all the things you expect when you're over there. It's just some of the stuff is just, I don't know, it's just a little bizarre. And you're like, okay, zero parking in the city too. That was finding a, you know, a white fly. But (laughs) in France... All the cars are obviously small. Every once in a while, there's like an X5 or a Cayenne or something like that. We saw one guy with a pickup truck, American like Dodge Ram. You're like, oh, he's got to be military because there's no other reason for that to be here. But when I went to Canada, I was like, the Jeep, 
in Montreal, I was like the biggest thing on the road. It was really weird because I am the largest thing here and parking. It was fun. This is interesting. But I also found that a lot of their cars were older up there too. Not a ton of new stuff, new, new stuff, like in the last couple of years on the roads. Maybe that has to do with the fact that the Canadian dollar is like weaker than ours. It's like a 25% discount. Hashtag chips. But we did get to do something really cool. Tanya's suggestion. What was that? We went to the circuit, Gilles Villeneuve, the F1 track in Montreal. Because apparently the entire island is basically a public park and the track is just open all the time to anyone. They put cones down and they split the track lane. The right side gets to be public traffic that can just at a slow speed and they got lots of stop signs up so you really can't do anything crazy. You can do as many laps as you want, I guess. I don't think they'll ever kick you out. You could go all day. The place is open like literally from sun up to sundown. And then on the left-hand side, bicyclists, joggers, walkers, bladers, anything you can do outside of your vehicle, you get the lane next to it. And we measured it's about two and a half miles. Just under something like that. Which I will say the speed limit was suggested at some points. We were going a little quicker than the speed limit. We did take video of it. It's available on our club YouTube channel. I've always joked that they're driving around a potato because, you know, it's on an island. I can understand why it's so difficult to get on and off of that track as a spectator there's very little grandstands because there's just not a lot of what's the word tanya talking about space the track itself like i don't know i didn't appreciate it when you watch the races but that sucker is narrow af there is no space and no runoff you have no room for error if it's three abreast at its widest it's wide that's it but it is super narrow. The turns are really tight. It feels like when you drive it, you're just doing like what we would call an autocross two one cone turnarounds. <laughs> it's like a really narrow oval track almost. It's just, I would love to drive a Miata there at full bore or something small, you know, like a, a little cars I think would be a lot of fun there. Something high horsepower like you know, Corvette or 911 and you screw up, it's going to be a bad day for you. But we did it. We can say where we do like four laps, something like that. Something was, like that. Yeah. Yeah. We just, we're like, oh, let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. If I lived there, I would be biking that all the time. The problem is it takes forever to get there. Yeah. <laughs> it's not easy. And I don't know where you'd park. How do you get to it? Is there a ferry? Is there a bridge? No, there's a bridge. Two bridges. There's like one on one end corner of the island and one that comes in the middle of the potato. Because and... at the top of the island is Six Flags Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God, that's a terrible design. <laughs> you have to get to the island to go to Six Flags. Can you bike or walk across the bridge? Like, is it safe for that? I didn't pay attention when we were driving across it. There were people walking. There's a sidewalk. I mean, Montreal as a city is generally pretty walkable. The problem is the area right before you get to the track is like being at the wharf in Baltimore where all the sea containers are and stuff or like Long Beach, you know, where all the boats come in. So it's sort of the same thing. And you're like, I don't know that I want to be hanging out down there as a pedestrian. I didn't see too many hotels. There is a casino on the island, which is in sort of the middle of the track. It looks like a giant aviator. So there's a lot of stuff packed into a small space when you get there. And again, this is why they have to shuttle you in and out of that place if you go to spectate. Now that I've been there, my want to go to the Canadian Grand Prix in person, I'm sort of like Tanya. I'm like, I'll watch this from the comfort of my couch. It would be hectic to go. Like that would be 
frustrating, I think. You probably have to park on the other side. But where? Because there's no parking like anywhere. <laughs> Next to the shipping containers. <laughs> You're a mile away or more at that point, for sure. Somehow they figured it out. They, they know what they're doing out there. But that's also why there's a limited number of seats and tickets and everything to get that sells out so fast. Because, again, you don't realize how small it is until you see it in person. So it's, mm. it was a neat experience. Summer's not over yet. We do have some other travel in store, and we'll talk about that as we go along here. But that sort of wraps up our showcase. Brad, what did you learn? Do you, do you think you want to go on a European vacation? Actually, I'm going to turn your question to me into another question for you. Oh, boy. It's inception time. You've been to several different professional races now. One, would you do it again? And two, is this now your favorite experience at a professional race? I've heard that the Nürburgring 24 is also a spectacle and it's pretty awesome to go to. So I, I got to reserve judgment, but I think this race and the Nürburgring 24 are sort of in a category unto themselves. It's hard to compare the experience that you would get at Petite or at Salins or any of the other races, even the Indy 500 for that matter. And those are great races. Don't get me wrong. Le Mans is just so over the top. It's so different. 330,000 people people spread across you know it doesn't seem like it's that many people but it's packed it's the history all the extra things that were going on even when they pulled all the cars out of the museum ran them on track all the stuff that just it was unbelievable part of it was because it was the hundredth and i don't know that every le mans is like that it's all that you know pomp and circumstance that was going on for this one i think the hundred and first is going to be a big deal because of all the cars that didn't come for this one are going to be there next year. So I think next year is going to be really exciting. Would I go back? Yes, I've already planned to in nine years for the second hundredth, which is the hundredth running of Le Mans, not the hundredth anniversary of Le Mans. So I'm really curious to see how obviously things evolve over the next decade. I'm going to be a fan for life for sure. It was an unforgettable experience. It was completely surreal. It's still even thinking about it, looking back, it's like, wow, we did all these things. And there's so many things I even forgot because you're operating on very little sleep and only baguettes. I needed Denmark just to decompress from Le Mans and then come home from that. It, it's just a whirlwind kind of thing. So in answer to your question, yes. I mean, I have always loved Le Mans and I think I will continue to do so until the day they don't race there anymore. Well, we do have some light fare for our drive-through fans out there. So we are going to talk about Porsche, Audi, and Volkswagen news really quick. There's a video link we want to share with you guys narrated by Patrick McDreamy. Dempsey himself about Porsche at Le Mans. Uh, it probably ends with him crying. <laughs> we all know how the story ended. Okay, guys. Right, Ty? We know. We know how it ended. One of the things that happened during Le Mans, people asked me, were there support races? Was there this? Was there that? And there are some support races. There's a Ferrari challenge race, which, you know, I took videos of. They wrecked in the first corner, which is fantastic on the first lap, you know, because cold tires. And there's a Porsche challenge race. And that's super cool. And all that kind of stuff. The things you would expect that you've seen at an IMSA race before. As I mentioned, they pulled all the cars out of the museum, driven by a lot of the legends of Le Mans. And that was like 20, 30 minutes of just pure awesomeness to see cars from the early 1920s all the way through up to the cars of last year out on track at full song, 917s, Audis, Peugeots, BMWs, Bugattis, Bentleys, you name it, right? Amazing. But Bugatti. That was the name that was missing from the roster this year. I mean, it's the great race. It's the hundredth. Where's the pinnacle of French automotive engineering. Where is Bugatti? Peugeot was there. That's Stellantis. Let's be serious now. <laughs> 
they brought out the new bolide during one of the lunch breaks and they had it out on track for like 20 minutes doing hot laps. And I tell you what, you're looking at the lineup for 2024 with the new Lambo and the Porsche 9X and everything else. The bolide is like the Batmobile. Absolutely amazing, ballistically quick. And it was quiet too. So you weren't sure what was going on. You thought the track was cold. And then there's just this blue and black blur that just, whoa, just rockets by, right? And you're like, whoa, I can't wait to see a Bugatti back on track, especially at Le Mans. So I am super hopeful for this. And I'm hoping that that test session was really to get everybody revved up and tease us for the 2024 entry. As I stated before, Lambo has unveiled their GTP prototype for next year, and it also looks fantastic. If that car is coming out, I'm telling you, there's going to be a Porsche that's very similar to it. I still think the Ferrari looks better. 499 is gorgeous. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's awesome. The Lambo looks like what you would think a Lambo would look like. The angles and all that stuff. Yeah, I'm still the Ferrari guy. The 499, that paint livery throws back all the way to the 330p4 from the late 60s, which was basically the last time they won at Le Mans, especially overall. I got to see that car in the museum, it was out on track, all that stuff. I mean, just absolutely amazing. And those old Ferraris are just absolutely fantastic. Since we mentioned the Peugeot, just a little bit of Stellantis news. Not only did Peugeot come out with their new car, which we've been talking about for basically a year now, the 9X8, like I said before, it is fire aesthetically. It is a beautiful car. At the Peugeot booth, which we were at several times for multiple reasons, they had this big Lego box sitting next to one of the cars. And I'm like, what is this all about? David jokingly said, ah, they're probably going to bring out like a life-size one or something like that at some point. Because there's like this countdown timer. And I said, what are they going to build it here while we're waiting? Like all the parts can't be in that box. So at one point they shut the whole thing down, you know, put up the curtains, whatever. And then they unveiled a full size replica Lego Technic version of the 9X8, which is an upscaled version of the Lego Technic that you can buy today in the Lego store. And it is absolutely awesome. The stuff that the guys at Lego can do is just brilliant. I got all sorts of pictures of the car from different angles and stuff like that. But there was something else that came of it. So we're in the booth and we're actually talking to the founder, CEO of Playseat, like having a good time. We're trying out their simulator, all this kind of thing. I see all these people working the booth, got their Peugeot swag on. And on the back, they have this Lego Technic Peugeot t-shirt thing. I'm like, I want one of those. So I go into the store and I'm looking at some stuff. I was like, oh, you know, they got this really nice looking hoodie. I love me some black hoodies. And they got this lime green and silver accents. I want to get one. I want to get this Lego shirt, right? Because I think it's really cool. It's a good way to kind of bridge the two worlds. So I go up to the counter, sort of in French. Do you speak English? And like, yeah, yeah, okay, English. I told the guy, I said, I would like this hoodie in American XL. And he'd never been so off put in my life. He goes, yes, you are XL. I'm like, oh, 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 okay. All right, fine. So he comes back and goes, we don't have it in that color. We only have it in gray. Well, I'm like, I don't wear gray, so that's fine. So I said, what about this Lego Technic t-shirt that your guys are wearing over on the floor? He goes, we do not sell this here. You must go to Lego. And there's a Lego store at Le Mans. So I was like, okay, cool. I tell David after we wrap up, we go over there, the Lego store. And I said, I took a picture of it just because I thought it was cool anyway. And I show the lady and she goes, I don't know what you're talking about. You need to go to Peugeot and get it from them. I'm like, all right, I've had enough. We've been through this already. 
it's not happening. So I gave up. I'm still looking for that t-shirt. So if anybody sees it, I want it. You didn't take your XL ass back over to Peugeot and say, where's my freaking t-shirt? Yeah, right. You are XL. Oh, okay. Thanks. I wonder what he would have said to me. <laughs> oh, now it's time for a little bit of domestic news brought to us by AmericanMuscle.com, your source for OEM and performance parts for your Chevy, Ford, or Mopar vehicle. We heard the bad news, right? Brad, I mean, you had to have been crying in your Wheaties this whole time. It's sad, but I, I haven't been excited about Team Corvette since the C7R. So it's been, what, two or three years now yeah. that I've just been kind of mad on them. It's sad, but Ford did the same thing with the Ford GT not too long ago. What was that, two years ago? They dropped it and opted for privateers instead. So for those of you trying to figure out what Brad's talking about, GM's Team Corvette Racing is no longer a thing. They have announced Corvette's retirement this year. They announced it at Le Mans, and they are moving to a privateer model, which is what Ferrari and Porsche have done for many years now. So this is not uncommon. So they're going to supply the teams with the cars and the parts and everything else, but it's up to the teams to figure out what they're going to do with those cars and how they're going to campaign them, who's going to drive them and all that kind of stuff. So after what? Didn't it start with Dale Earnhardt? With the C5, yeah. yeah. With the C5, yeah. So that was early 2000s. Late 90s, yeah. So let's say almost 25 years for sure. It's sad to see Team Corvette go. Yes. We mentioned it before, Garage 56. People were laughing. They were laughing hard. They were making fun of the NASCAR special. Oh, this and that. That car's never going to make it, as I mentioned. But against all odds, they kicked ass. Blew past the prototype cars. I tell you what, seeing it in person, their closing speeds and their ability to walk away from other cars was unbelievable. It didn't click until we were on the Ferris wheel and we could see in the distance as they would get on the straightaways and you would just watch the Garage 56 car not walk, but run away from an LMP2 car unbelievably fast. Its trap speeds were ridiculous too. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I got to hand it to the team though. I mean, you look at it and you go, how much of this is really NASCAR? How much of it is modified? It's really a Camaro GT3, you know, stuff like that, blah, blah, blah. All the elements are there. We don't really see NASCARs go for that length of time. Yeah, they do 500 laps at Daytona or Talladega or whatever. And that's what, four hours, but 24 hours. Plus imagine they only ran one car and they had to do all the practice sessions, all the qualifying sessions. They did more than 24 hours. Those cars, that's the other thing people don't realize. They don't run for just 24 hours. They run for like nearly two weeks by the time they're done because of all the different things that they're doing with them. Unbelievable accomplishment by that team and by the car itself. So I'm excited to see where that goes, if they do anything with it next time. Yeah, I'd love to see it back next year. Every time it went by though, I was like, that's dollar bills and eagles and freedom coming out that exhaust pipe. I mean, it was just unreal that's the sound of america <laughs> america right i mean it was just like if you wanted to wave a flag every time it went by it was unreal it's just like wow and i will say this the crowds at Lama were different than they are like in an american race you go to the indy 500 people doing the wave and you think you're at a baseball game and it's like a whole thing over there it was like being at a golf match and there was like light clapping and then you would hear people get excited like if a car like let's say it spun and went in the gravel trap or you get this big like just like a golfing match ooh, like if somebody went off track it was really bizarre. But I tell you what, when the Garage 56 car finished the race and crossed the checker, people exploded. It was just like, ah, you know, it was that was cool to see the appreciation for that car when it finished. So can you explain the Garage 56 
isn't that like a, a Lamar thing? It is. It is specific to Lamar. It is a one car class. It is designed for experimental, like super prototype cars. It's garage number 56 because there's 55 other garages. Some of the other garage 56 cars you might remember, let's say the front wheel drive Nissan. Turd. That is the worst Le Mans car ever. It'll go down to the history as such. The Delta Wing car. Do you remember that one? Turd. Yeah. <laughs> so they've been all <laughs> weird stuff like that. And so the garage 56 car, that's where they stuck it. Right. It's an unlimited class. They can do whatever they want. As long as they didn't break, they were going to win their class because they're the only car in it. Is there always a Garage 56 car? No, okay. it is hit or miss. So this and is then, the first Garage 56 car, I think, since that Nissan. Probably since the front wheel drive. And then has a Garage 56 car ever won outright? No, okay. not in my recollection, because they've always broken. <laughs> So is this the first one in a long time to actually finish the race? Because I don't yeah. think the Nissan finished. No, the Nissan didn't make it, but like, I don't know, the first three hours or something like that. Yeah, fun wheel drive, not very fun that day. They have that car on display at the museum. It's outside in a glass box next to the EB110 Bugatti for some weird reason. But yeah, they don't even want it in the museum. It's like, yeah. the thing's so terrible. We'll put it out there. Yeah, and they don't drive it around anymore because it's got broken axles. God, what a bad design that was. I would say out of... Everything that you've experienced and explained about going to Le Mans, the Garage 56 car is what I have FOMO about, like yeah. missing that. We got to see it up close in person, all that stuff, really kind of take a look at it and everything. I mean, sort of once in a lifetime. I mean, unless they go back, but I don't see that happening again. Although I would like to see it spawn a Camaro GT3 to go against Ford because that's the other big reveal at Le Mans was Ford unveiled the GT3 Mustang while we were there. And the only thing I heard from people was it's huge. <laughs> <laughs> the S650 is big. It's bigger than the S550 Mustang, but I mean, it just looked aggressive. It looked mean. It's wide body yeah. to fit the bigger tires and everything. You know it's going to sound amazing. It's going to be fast because the Mustang up until this point, the GT4 Mustangs, as we learned following around World Challenge, they're pretty limited. They were pretty neutered compared to a lot of the other cars in GT4. So I think moving up to GT3 allows them to really stretch out that Shelby motor and, and and everything else and go for gold there again the 101st Le Mans next year's Le Mans is going to be awesome too we'll see how it plays out a lot of representation from America 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 yeah as I mentioned before Toyota's number two car was taken out by a squirrel <laughs> It was funny and sad at the same time. And it was really stressful there for a while because there was a big battle back and forth between Ferrari and Toyota. It all came down to pitch strategy, you know, who was using less fuel and all this kind of stuff, cut tire management, all these kind of things. I know that Ferrari was like doubling down on their tires to try to stretch out and all this kind of thing. If you looked at race speeds versus qualifying speeds, they were way down. Lap times were significantly down. You could tell the strategy was totally different during the race but when that squirrel took out the toyota oh my god and then that cadillac on like the first lap coming into the molson chicane oh what a disaster i mean how do you cause a wreck like 90 seconds into the race you know they still had two other cars the odds were in their favor they had one more car than everybody else you don't count the jota 963 for porsche and those last couple hours there for toyota once they had that big screw up where he missed the braking zone that was it it was ferrari's race to lose and you could tell they were backing way off 
to conserve the car. Toyota almost a lap behind at that point. There's no way they were going to make that up in an hour, not without potentially breaking the car. I feel bad for them, but I don't at the same time. (laughs) Well, let's move on to random new EVs and concept cars. A name I never thought I would hear associated with an EV. Right? Famous for taking over production of the Lotus Super 7 in 1962. If someone just showed you a picture of this, you would never associate it with a Caterham. It looks similar to the Alpine. Which, I'm glad you brought that car up. The A110, those things are all over the place in France. That's another car I would buy, no questions asked. And they have that new electric R5 looking thing that Tanya has talked about before, talking about EVs and concepts. Mm -hmm. That's going to be the hotness. Two cars we're never going to get. That is Wawa. Enjoy the single-seater seat with the split headrest that's built into the back wall of the car. Continuing from the last drive-thru, we mentioned how Toyota leadership has said that they are not interested in building pure EVs. They are sticking to the hybrid model. And you know what? I got confirmation of that while I was at the race. Combustible hydrogen is the new tech of choice. While we were at Le Mans, Bosch and Liget unveiled their new, one of the first combustible hydrogen powered race cars that they developed in-house. Sort of looks like a Ferrari 550 Maranello or 575 LM, if you look at it in pictures. We recorded the whole session, really interesting information from their vice president about it. That is the way of the future. We've been hearing that from some other people. And Toyota is also moving in that direction, moving away from their fuel cell technology to combustible hydrogen. And the advantage to combustible hydrogen is, and this is information I understand from some folks at Bosch that I talked to, is they need to figure out how to store the hydrogen in the vehicle safely. The rest of the motor stays the same. The injection system basically stays the same except for the nozzles, the fuel injectors that they're using and ECU, all that stuff gets reflashed. They're basically keeping the ICE cars the way they were always built, making a few modifications and solving the hydrogen delivery problem. And now we can breathe a whole new life into our ice powered cars. And funny that we're talking about that this week as we're recording, Goodwood is going on and Rowan Atkinson, famous Mr. Bean, who also happens to be a petrol head, was interviewed at Goodwood because he was showcasing the new combustible hydrogen H2 Toyota GR Yaris at the hill climb. And he gives a really long talk about it and the technology and what it's like to drive and all kind of thing and he says right then and there it's direct injection you know da, 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 all the stuff that even Bosch and Liget were talking about so that now is making me excited for the future that's going to breathe new life into old cars if we can figure out how to retrofit that stuff sounds no different than people retrofitting their diesels to run off biofuel exactly very similar thought it's a similar concept yeah. and it's it actually it's a kind of a genius idea to not scrap in concept yeah well yes of course again the same thing they haven't solved yet is how you onboard it and how do you have a hydrogen fuel station with these prototypes they're handling that in-house they're able to construct their hydrogen containment unit all that but the proof of concept has now been basically satisfied to say it can be done. Can you imagine all I see is 
the early scene in Zoolander where everyone's <laughs> flinging the gasoline on each other to whams wake me up before you go go and then somebody goes to light their cigarette and the whole place blows up they need to solve that problem because you can't have somebody willy-nilly hydrogen into the air while they're fucking smoking their cigarette at the fuel station since we're talking about breathing life into new cars brad it's time for lost and found what have you got for us Oh, the usual. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody wants this turd of a Cadillac DeVille at Gray Chevrolet. Is it still for sale? It is still for sale. I'm starting to think there's no actual car. They just want you to call and then come in. And then there's a couple Volkswagens. There's a 2000 Volkswagen Jetta, 2000 Volkswagen Jetta GLS VR6. Price not listed. And then that Ford GT is still out there. 2008 Jetta SE, blah, blah, blah. 2012 Fiat 500. You sure your browser isn't cached from two months ago? I mean, <laughs> nope. I literally just did a search. They're saying people are holding on to their cars longer. Maybe that's why there's nothing good for sale right now. The whole point of this segment right here is to find the turds. There are plenty of turds out there, but the turds are all the same. No, no <laughs> new turds. Although you, you can get a 2016 Dodge Viper ACR for $800,000. Hey, that's a bargain. Let's get two. Andrew Bank, this is calling your name. He needs a second one, though. You know how it works. He needs to rob a bank is what he needs to do to do that. Speaking of old cars and things for sale and whatnot, I went to my first auction. I have interviewed plenty of auctioneers and auction companies on this show. If you haven't caught those episodes, just go back into our 200 million episodes that we have online. But I'd never attended one before. I was going to say, were you on sale? Was this someone was bidding for your, like for a date with Eric or what was this? No, no, no. This was a motorsports legends auction at Le Mans. My original question stands. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Actually, if you weren't paying attention, you would have missed the Sotheby's building altogether because they had not a ton of signage and they kept it closed most of the time because obviously you don't want to get any of these cars dirty. But in the lineup, you had things like Ferrari Daytona, GTB4s. You had things like XJ220s. You had a rolling chassis of a Porsche 919. You had the Silk Cut Jag, Lancia LC2, like all sorts of stuff from back in the day that were for sale. We're not talking $50,000 car. We're not talking $500,000 car. We're talking $5 million, $50 million car, you know, kind of situation. And so... As I've referred to it before, it was like quiet chaos and it was everything you expected it to be like you've seen in like the movie, The Red Violin, you know, the guys with their paddles and the guys on the phone and the brokers and the internet and it's getting out of control. And, you know, we stayed for the Ferrari bid because that was the car we wanted to see. And when we unfortunately had to go away because we had somewhere else we had to be and we left and it was at 4.2 million euros, which is substantially more than that car is generally worth. But because that was a legitimate Le Mans race car and like all this kind of stuff, it ended up closing at 5.2 million euro. Unbelievable. It was an experience like nothing else because again, I've never been to an auction before. So I'm hoping it doesn't sour me to some of the other events that I, I might be going to in the near future. If you've never been to a car auction, and I'm not talking about like going to Mannheim auction in Pennsylvania, like going to a Meekum or a Sotheby's or a Broad Arrow or, you know, the events that happen at like Pebble and things like that, do it. Just go in, pay the hundred bucks or whatever, and just sit and soak it all in. It is unbelievably stressful, but you also feel like you're sitting in the dentist's office. It's bizarre. (laughs) And I write about it in an article that's linked in the show notes. You can get more of my take on all of that. 
Other things historical, as I mentioned before, the Le Mans Museum is right there on campus. It's at the main gate of the track. If you get the opportunity to go, and a few people that I had spoken to before going recommended that I check it out. If I had missed it, that would have been my FOMO, Brad, because the, as you probably saw from the pictures, which we have links to the whole vault of pictures, unbelievable vehicles in the museum, cars that you've only heard about, rumored about, that are legend are in this museum. Not all of them are there. Some of the Le Mans winners are at Simeone, as an example, like the 57G, the 917 Hippie car, you know, things like that. So not all of them there. So there were as many as they could muster up for the 100th and other cars of significance from the 100 years of Le Mans. So super cool. And then, like I said, they pulled them all out of the museum and took them out on track for some parade laps and whatnot, but just absolutely incredible to see those cars in person. Cars that, you know, I had only seen on television or, you know, dreamed about, drooled over. So just absolutely awesome. Totally worth it. And during race weekend, entrance to the museum is free. So why not go? And a little bit of vintage motorsports The VRG, or Vintage Racers Group, is pushing really hard on social media to attract Miata drivers to their series. For those that don't remember, the Miata celebrates its 33rd birthday this year and qualifies for the famed Vintage Racing Series. I guess they're getting tired of seeing 16-year-olds drive in stanced-out NA Miatas all over the place. No, it's because there's probably not enough MG or Triumph guys anymore. You know what I mean? So they got to open well, that it up. Because <laughs> that's part of their social media thing is they class the Miatas to be able to run with some of those older British roadsters and stuff. So I actually think that would be some exciting racing to see that. So maybe we'll find ourselves at a VRG event later this year. Yeah, anybody that's seen a spec Miata race would know that that'd be pretty exciting. Although <laughs> I don't know if I want, if I was uh, an MG driver i don't know that i'd want a bunch of wreck pinata cars out there with me on track at the same time if you want to learn more about what you should be doing with your retired spec miata and if maybe you want to do something different than run scca with it check out the vintage racers group at www.vrgonline.org it's that time again what time is that we would be remiss wouldn't we because it's time to talk about Tesla Gate. I don't follow this kind of stuff. I don't even know. I had to look up what Threads was. <laughs> the war with Elon continues. It's Zuck versus Musk in Twitter versus Threads. Did they ever fight yet? Not yet. Oh, dude, I want to see it. It's on pay-per-view, I heard. Yeah, I'm not paying for that trash. Elon's mom said no, so. Elon's mom said no. That's true. It's true. <laughs> I'm not making that up. God, I feel like it would be less celebrity deathmatch and more pillow fight. No, it's like when we would make the paper footballs in school. That's like. <laughs> no, I feel like it would be slap boxing. It would be. But Zuckerberg is actually technically legitimate. Says people he's paid to say that. But wait a minute, are you trying to say that Elon is illegitimate? Like he's Jon Snow or something? <laughs> no, she, she, you... she's saying that Zuckerberg actually trains in like jujitsu oh, and makes martial arts and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Which I, I've seen pictures and stuff. I'm, I'm joking. I, I'm sure he's he's good at it. He actually competes, I believe. So like yeah. he's not like Elon. It's that picture of him on the yacht in flabby, pale, never seen the light of day skin where he's just like that, <laughs> that blob standing there on the yacht. Have you seen that meme where they redid his body as the Cybertruck? <laughs> Is that what I'm getting for my hundred bucks? <laughs> Isn't there a meme where he's like Krang? <laughs> yeah, that's another good one. Oh, there's so many good ones. But in all seriousness, talking to so many people, 
if Twitter isn't dead yet and be just gets absorbed into the Tesla operating system, I would be surprised. Threads is here. If you haven't converted over, it's as easy as opening Instagram and clicking a button. It says import your profile and then you're on Threads. Threads looks like Twitter. It sort of acts like Twitter. I think it's everything people wanted Instagram to continue to be, but it's not anymore because Instagram is sort of turning into TikTok. All this to say, guess what? We're on Threads too, at Grand Touring Motorsports. Follow us. Let's get more followers on Threads than we have on Instagram. Let's make that our goal for the remainder of 2023, shall we? Yes. And our loyal listeners can help us get there. Mark Hewitt, join us on Threads <laughs> and Patreon. <laughs> Can't remember his Facebook password. <laughs> <laughs> There's a nifty little forgot password button. Goes to an email that he doesn't have access to either. <laughs> <laughs> Stop using AOL. He's on Prodigy. <laughs> He's got a, a, a Hotmail account. Hey, those still work. I know. My dad has one. My dad, Mark. <laughs> my dad has one. <laughs> He's almost seven. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. What are we talking about now? Tesla charger. Everyone is adopting a Tesla charger. Basically, that's that's all the news. Is this like adopt a highway where you, have, you just you tell them I want to adopt a Tesla charger? So wait a minute. I thought there was like the J1792 protocol that everybody was using except for Tesla because Tesla is the equivalent of Apple, the lightning charger and all that stuff. Now, all of a sudden, we're going to go all Tesla chargers. So whatever their charging standard connector is, everyone's jumping on board to basically be able to connect to it. Oh, okay. So you're going to be able to buy something to plug into Tesla's charging station then. Because they have the network now, the charging network. So how are we going to pay for that? Well, they say they're expected to adopt the Tesla plug. So I don't know if it's more... The plug will be the same or if it's an adapter. Well, what about all the other EVs? Got like two different gas pumps. I guess it's diesel and gasoline, right? Here we go again. I would think they would probably start retrofitting or or start using the plug now, but for the older EVs, probably create an adapter that allows you. I mean, because also like ChargePoint is going to now have this Tesla Nax plug, but they say they'll also have the other types of chargers. So to that end, it's like having the two different style pumps. I just realized what this is. You guys watch Black Mirror? No. I haven't seen past the first like four or five episodes. Okay. In the first four or five episodes of season one, do you remember the episode with the Meow Meow Beans? That's a reference to community, by the way, where they're like rating other people and it's like five stars. You got to keep your five star rating. It's all like social media and all this stuff. There's a scene in there and she drives up and because her rating is so low, she ends up with the piece of crap EV that there's only one charger on like this random lot (laughs) that she can only go there with that car to like and get another one or whatever it is that's what's going to happen there it's going to be like that episode of black mirror this sounds like the guy in canada who bought the slow charging ionic or whatever it was <laughs> yeah right my expectations are once again lowered lowered expectation there's all sorts of new car related shows on television you've listed a number lo- under lowered expectations and no one's watched any of them so we don't know that they're bad. I actually spent the time and I watched today the first episode of Tex-Mex and the first episode of Downey's Dream Machines. I didn't have that kind of time in my day. Ditto, ditto. We we don't have to go into an office. I did. You can put it up in the background. What's up? I get my office life. I live vicariously through Tanya and everything she posts in our private water coolers chat because she posts some wild shit in there. <laughs> I will tell you. Shut up, Shaggy. Shut up, Lord. <laughs> 
What are you doing? I'm just changing my shirt. <laughs> I got some mustard on my shirt and I'm changing it in the middle of the room. But there's a conference going on. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I was eating a hot dog and I got some mustard on my shirt. You can't see me because I can't see you. My back is to you. <laughs> <laughs> I just got put on my new Izod. Oh. So anyway, Netflix, Tex-Mex Motors. This show is exactly the same as all the other shows. <laughs> it is 100% a ripoff of Car Masters. Which is 100% a ripoff of Fast and Loud. and But it's to the point where the cast is almost the same. They almost look the same. They rearranged them a little bit. I only saw the trailer for it. I haven't watched any of the episodes, but I was getting strong Car Master vibe. They even use the same animations. Like when they're building the car, you know how they do those sketches and the the parts like fly in and it's all goofy cartoony the same like the music's the same they have guys named scooter and rabbit like it's like whatever and it's two hundred fifty thousand dollar payday right it's the same basic principle and i'm wondering if it's because car masters got canned did it i haven't seen it come back it's been like a year car masters is the one where they were bartering upgrade and trade yeah the upgrade and trade rust to riches you see they're all the same garage the gotham garage correct car masters they're all the yeah tex-mex motors their differentiator is that they are trying to exclusively go into mexico and buy cars for dirt cheap because apparently the people in mexico don't know anything about cars so they go down there buy them for dirt cheap and then bring them to the u.s to try and flip them for big money Surprise, surprise, in the first episode, they have a run-in with the Mexican Federales because of the non-numbers matching car that was numbers matching after all. And it was That seems a little staged, too. A little? Just a little? And then the shady transporter who was going to pick up the Mustang for free uh-huh. and then stole the parts and dropped off the car on blocks i mean (laughs) jesus christ if that stuff was not staged how fucking dumb are you at tex-mex motors yeah let shit like that happen and the lady that they tried to sell that opal gt which by the way that was a cool car i liked what they did with it though i liked the paint job i liked the seats you know what i said when they put up the paint job i was like i did it first because my gti has the same paint scheme it does it does you don't have the honeycomb though looked awful actually they should have left that off the car i liked it i liked it anyway and then the baja bug that they turned into surprise surprise a baja bug whatever the best part of that was when they wrecked that polaris yeah that was fun that was good overall i would probably watch the whole thing just to see how it all turns out but it feels a little bit more contrived than car masters and tanya this is where it really crosses the line they have another female engine builder Mm. however comma asterisk parentheses her backstory seems a lot more legit than Constance's. She grew up, they show pictures of her working with her dad in the shop and whatever. And she seemed to know legitimately what she was doing and doing that Mazda swap on the Opal. You know, that was no small feat. That Ecotech in the Beetle, that was pretty complicated. So I'm like, okay, I mean, not this, my fingernails look like I'm in a Revlon commercial, but I work on motors, you know, kind of thing that's going on with the other show. So it's like, whatever. I mean, again, I'm not trying to discount anybody's experience. Experience, but it's the exact same formula. It 
Yeah, it is this carbon copy. Exactly. Now, did you watch Downey's Dream Machines? I did not. I was too enamored by the stupidity of Tex-Mex Motors. I'll give you Downey's Dream Machines really quick. Basically, Robert Downey Jr. has more money now than he knows what to do with. He's paring down part of his collection and he's taken on a conscience, I guess, because of the whole footprint coalition thing that he started about, you know, climate change and all this stuff, making a greener world. And what he wants to do is basically turn part of his collection of muscle cars and exotics and whatever he has, and he wants to turn them into EVs. And you're like, okay, cool. The whole thing is sort of shot like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang in those scenes where they're behind the camera and, you know, talking through the fourth wall. And Robert Downey is very non-scripted and non-sequitur throughout the whole thing and he's a little crazy but that's what makes it entertaining and it makes him charming as as a person too where you're kind of like well what the hell is he going to say next i mean it starts out literally with him in a black hawk helicopter like where the hell is it where is this going and he literally turns to the camera and he's like this is a show about cars i assure you we're going to get there and then it does this like and we go backwards and like how we got to that point and you know whatever it has its cinematics with it but the very first episode he takes a k10 pickup truck square body that was beautiful he called it the thanos thumper it's dark purple and all this kind of stuff. supercharged ls making ungodly horsepower all this noise and whatever he's like i want to turn it into an ev so he partners with electric garage up in new hampshire they retrofit a tesla into it they maintain the all-wheel drive all this kind of stuff blah 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 blah, blah. and there's sort of a gimmicky challenge at the end where they have to tow something with it and they want to you know see how it all turns out is it going to blow up is it going to work etc I'll, I'll leave it up to your guys imagination to check it out i'm actually really curious to see where the rest of it goes i've had a couple other people tell me that they've watched the whole thing it's only about eight episodes and they said it's fantastic and they're sort of like yeah that'd be really cool to retro an ev and i know we've talked about this and some of the cars on his list he's got like a c2 stingray corvette he's got some other stuff on there where you're like ah, would i really swap that car it's worth a mint as it is you know that kind of thing with what we talked about earlier with the h2e platforms coming out you know that combustible hydrogen i wonder if robert down he gets to the end of this journey of converting his collection to evs and he goes well how hard would it have been to convert them to hydrogen right and leave them alone i'm wondering if people are going to have that regret as the manufacturers maybe move in that direction here in the near futures well that's not going to make him millions of dollars with a tv show no Changing some uh, injectors and a fuel tank. Not at all. How environmentally friendly is it flying around in a Blackhawk? Yeah, I know, but his truck is saving the world one EV at a time. I'm not going to get on that soapbox. On the complete other side of that, Rutledge Wood is back, famous for being on Top Gear USA and doing One Lap of America in a modified Toyota Sienna. He's got a new reality show, which a couple of our members have watched. That's the Hot Wheels Build the Dream or whatever the heck it's called. It's a reality show, resto mod, building life-size Hot Wheel cars. Oddly enough, the show debuted before I went to Lama. And a couple of these cars were at Lama. I don't know if they were the ones from the TV show, but they had a booth and they had three or four cars out front and they are life-size Hot Wheels. And I got to say, they're pretty cool. So that gave me at least a little bit of, I should probably watch this show. And then a couple of people have confirmed that it's everything you don't expect it to be, but it's a lot of fun because it's a creator show. It's reality television, but it's for car people. So unlike British Bake Off or The Repair Shop or what's that one with Amy Poehler? that she's got you know making it this is for us this is for car people so there you go hot wheels what's funny about hot wheels he's building the hot wheels that i never want to buy i want to buy the hot wheels that are like production cars i don't buy the ones that look like 
fucking clown shoes and, and shit that, that don't actually exist. They already sell those, Brad. Those are called production cars. Yes. You know what? <laughs> I can't afford production cars. I can afford $1.18 Hot Wheels. They've gotten expensive. I will buy all the $1.18 Porsche 911s I can find. There you go. Well, Tanya's got one that we should watch. It already came out last year, but I'm just reminding you of it. If you're now on a kick to watch all the reality car programs that are out there, you have to go back and watch on Netflix, Drive Hard the Maloof Way. I think I tried to watch this. I didn't get past the first episode, much like I didn't get past the first episode of FUBAR, and I still need to watch the Schwarzenegger documentary because it's all schmay. The Schwarzenegger documentary is good. If you're a fan of Schwarzenegger, you should watch his documentary because you get to see so much about his Mr. Universe days, all his training and all that, and the whole, all that happened, how he actually came over here to this country, blah, blah, blah. So it's very interesting. He is one of my most favorite comedians ever. Did I try and watch Drive Hard the Maloof Way? I don't... It's the one about the dude and then his daughters, and his daughters are stunt drivers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't get past the first episode. It was hard a little bit, but... I'll stick to watching reruns of Deep Space Nine. Quark's Bar is where I belong. I started rewatching Seinfeld from the very beginning. Just wait till you get to the parking lot episode. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, I know that one. You know, I was watching that on whichever one it was on, and it was like in the middle of the pandemic. And I was like, I've never watched Seinfeld. Like, I'd seen an episode here or two back in the day, but like, I'm never a fan of it, right? So I was like, I'm going to sit and I want to watch Seinfeld because what else is there to do when you can <laughs> do anything? How many episodes did you get through? Okay, so like, I was powering through, forcing myself through these things because I am clearly not a Seinfeld. No, she's a Frasier fan. Yes, Frasier me all day long, but like Seinfeld, I'm like this is so effing dry. Like I don't, I don't know. Like and the characters are all obnoxious. Most of them, uh, I don't know. Anyway, so I'm like powering through this thing, and then suddenly it's like this show is exiting in two days. I'm like shit, <laughs> and I'm like calculating. I'm like I don't have enough time to like finish. So I don't know. I didn't watch. I fast forwarded basically to the final episode. And then I was like, what the F just happened? Oh, the Good Samaritan episode, yeah. The final episode, what happened is exactly what happened throughout the entire show. Nothing. nothing absolutely fucking nothing happened. They are right back where they started. Pretty much. By the way, it's on Netflix right now. The yes, it is back on Netflix. on Netflix. And I was like, oh, I could go catch up the season or have whatever I miss. I'm like, no, nope, I'm good. <laughs> you watch Seinfeld for the jokes. But the jokes that other people know, like the inside jokes, not for the because it's really funny or anything. Yeah, sure. Normally at this part of the episode, we would be going down south to talk about alligators and beer. But I think we need to talk about stale baguettes and brie. Well, I put this one in just for you. Oh, did you? So this guy did started this already like several years ago. He's a carpenter. He was a cabinet maker. <laughs> and he built a 2CV out of wood. No. Is this like that other guy that and builds it runs. Like Ferraris? No it runs because he put the motor from another 2CV in it. And he sold it for 224000 thousand dollars how slow is it it's got a way more than the real thing it gets up to 50 miles an hour isn't Lies. that what the real one does off a cliff like those cars in alaska that they've been throwing off the side of the mountain every year no way it gets to 50 
allegedly. Honestly, this is how the original 2CV should have been built. It should have been wood. Well, it would have been biodegradable that way. The termites would have gotten to it. It would have been amazing. I don't know. It alleges capable of hitting 50. Now, you can read into capable. Lies. Lies. But he's a very young-looking 74-year-old. I will give him that. Jeez, listen to this. (laughs) He looks like Charles Manson. What are you talking about? He whittled it from one piece of wood. Yeah, he he was in jail. You know, he whittled it out of... The main body is made from apple and pear fruit trees. The front and back are walnut. The base for the doors and trunk are cherry wood. Wow, that is an expensive vehicle. Does it run on Mott's? It took him 5,000 hours in over five years to build. Who's going to do the math? 5,000 hours divided by 250,000? 224,000. 224. What does that come out to? $44 an hour. $44. Well, 224,000 divided by 5,000. Yeah. That does not seem hardly worth it. I feel like. That's not very profitable for the amount of time he put into it. He would have spent less time just restoring a 2CV. It was a labor of love, I guess, of passion. He was putting his carpentry skills to use. I'm not going to begin to try and understand. So the bigger question is, how many times did he piss in the corner of his garage? Probably many, because... He used it to soften the wood. (laughs) (laughs) It's seasoned. Why does my car smell like piss? Because it's French. (laughs) Apparently, this is the thing in France. And I was warned about this, that guys will just randomly pee while they're on the street. I didn't believe it until I saw it myself. And then you sort of like started to ignore it. You became desensitized to it, except... For this personal French man story that I have to share with you guys, I'm walking down the road with Ty. We're coming back from David's campsite. So imagine we have a 45 minute walk ahead of us. We're going down, minding our own business, dimly lit sidewalks and whatever. And these two fine French gentlemen decide that they're going to hide themselves by standing next to the only light pole on the street, facing away from each other because they didn't want to see each other peeing but facing the people that were walking on the sidewalk as they urinated in public. And it's like, are you serious? I mean, I understand that there aren't very many porta johnnies and stuff. They were lacking in a lot of things, trash cans and other things around there. But I'm just like, this is unreal. And the worst part is there's the street light right there. They're obviously inebriated, but there was a fence. Like, I don't know, 12 feet to the side of where they were standing. They could have gone to the fence. Nope, we're going to hide ourselves because nobody can see us if we stand by the light bulb. Wow. And then in the article here or in the little snippet, it says public urination is a problem in most big cities. That's why I will never live in a big city. So I didn't actually post that as a Florida man type subject. It's actually like an investigative news reporting on why this is so prevalent in France. It's for real. So is she telling you and they show you everywhere where there's just urine running down a sidewalk and they're interviewing people. They're like so disgusting and they're talking about how they've been trying to like fix this situation that's been going on since like 18 something. <laughs> I don't think it's going to change. Nope. We do have a Florida man story, though, don't we? Well, this is just a kind of a cute one. This Polk County man called Sheriff's Office to report a crime because he goes out to his black Jeep Cherokee that's covered in all this white paint. Side of the door is covered in all this white paint. So the sheriff comes out to investigate 
and it was bird poop. <laughs> but I will say from the photo that the bird must have like downward dogged at the side of the car because the spray is quite extensive. Was it a pterodactyl? <laughs> I don't know. In Florida, maybe it was like some sort of heron. I don't know. Albatross. I mean, <laughs> I mean that is a lot of bird poop. Oh, there's a swarm of them and they all, maybe it was like a goose or a swan. No, goose, they have that little green poop. This one had diarrhea. <laughs> okay. It was an emu. <laughs> and bird poop is terrible for your paint. Can you imagine then you have this big stain on the side of your car that won't come out. Uh, I'm going to wash my car next time it rains. Obviously, it wasn't there one minute, and then it was there the next for him to call the police, right? So, yeah, like how it says, the culprit was Avion. I've been vandalized by an eagle. <laughs> she enticed me. Uh, the substance was what birds tend to do or do. Ah, 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 oh, that's a bad dad joke. But you know what? We've had Canadians in our Florida man stories before. We don't have any this time. And that's fine. I looked. I tried. I couldn't find. I tried to find better content. But actually, it was very disturbing, the content that was coming up. There was a lot of road rage going on and other very negative things. So there wasn't anything good, unfortunately. But you know what we've never seen in a Florida man segment? We never see Danish man. It doesn't happen. Denmark. Because I think the search would have to be Danish man bicycling or something. So many bicycles. So many bicycles. Unbelievable amount. More than Holland, I think. Woo! Well, with that, it's time we go behind the pit wall and quickly talk about motorsports news. And since we talked about Canada, and we talked a lot about Mama, what about the Canadian Grand Prix, which finished right before we went to Montreal? What's happening in Formula One land? Max Verstappen is winning. You know, it's getting so old. Like now he started this thing. Like I feel like after every race when they post interview him, Coulthard down there interviewing him. And it's like, this was a really tough race. It was like the last race that they just did. Where he won by like how many seconds? Silverstone. And it was just like, this was a really tough one for us. You know, it was really hard. We're going to have to go back and, and understand what happened. I'm like, you jackass. You didn't lead for five laps. Wow, that was really tough. Yeah, what happened is you fucked up the start. That's what Exactly. Happened. You slipped on the start and he got ahead of you. And then it took you five laps until DRS opened or whatever. And then you got around him. And then you weren't 45 seconds ahead of everybody. Woe is you. Get out of here. I think the big news in Formula One right now nah, boy. is... Honey Badger's back. Oh, no. Honey Badger's back. The smile, the smilest man on the grid is back in a Formula One car. Your heart throb, Danny Rick. Oh, my man crush, Danny Rick. It's hard to decide between Danny Rick and Toto Wolf. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's a hard decision today. It's a stale baguette decision. But yes, Danny Rick is back in AlphaTauri because they got rid of Nick DeVries, DeVry, the small fry, the not driving fry. F1 again. <laughs> denied. Nick, right Nick denied is what it is. Nick denied. Which is like, I don't know, I guess, sure. But at the same time, it's like been like two races, but okay. <laughs> Can I just say that I was seriously thinking it was going to be Sergio and not 
Nick DeVry. I thought Danny was going to take Sergio's seat, especially the way he's been performing the last couple of weeks or the last couple of races. There's still time, right? Because this isn't his contract up for renewal still? Like it, he's not locked in for future years, I don't think. Or do they finally do that? Actually, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a way to try and kind of snap Sergio out of his funk to, you know, sitting there with a former race winning driver waiting to take your seat has got to put a lot of pressure on you. Like now that Danny Rick has a seat, I would think it would free up Sergio to kind of take some pressure off of him. I mean, he's still got to go out there and perform, but it's like having, you know, a starting quarterback or a starting pitcher or something, and you've got an all-star starting pitcher sitting on the bench behind you. It puts a lot of undue pressure on you. I think Sergio comes out and starts driving better for his sake, I hope. But I'm happy to see Danny Rick back. I'm happy for you. Unlike Formula One, there's a bunch of WRC news that we're not going to cover this month. I'm going to talk about it next time. And there's some drama with Terry Newville. So I'm going to leave you in suspense. I don't think anybody cares. Oh, (laughs) but Tanya has some NASCAR news. Well, I didn't watch it, but the street race in Chicago did happen. NASCARs do street races now? Yes. Is it like RC cars? They just put a body on top of the Indy car and we're going to make pretend it's a NASCAR? No, it's like the Garage 56 car. Well, then maybe it's possible. I, 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 you know, we got to stop poking fun. These NASCARs have come a long way since the days of the Conestoga wagon suspension that they were based on. It was over the 4th of July weekend, so unfortunately the ability Nobody watched it. was did not happen so but however it did happen and i don't know any of the people in nascar so the person who won means nothing to me but i believe it was like this guy's a new zealander who won shane van gisbergen that does not sound like a nascar name wow <laughs> he was brought in just for the street race i was gonna say anybody <laughs> with a so. non-american sounding name for the street race right yeah. we'll get some guys from touring car come over here We're going to try to keep it light, but I want to remind people that our motorsports news is brought to us in partnership with the International Motor Racing Research Center in Watkins Glen. They are running their promotion and their sweepstakes to win a 2024 Corvette E-Ray through April of 2024. You can enter now by going to their website, racingarchives.org, click on Corvette sweepstakes and enter the code E-Ray launch for some bonus tickets there and entries when you sign up to try to win that Corvette. You can also take a cash option if you don't want a new car. And the IMRC also has some upcoming events. On August 18th, they are doing the Cameron R. Arkitsinger Award for Outstanding Contributions to Motorsports Dinner. On September the 16th, they're doing a center conversation titled Brumos, an American racing icon with author Sean Cridland at 1 p.m. On September 30th, they're holding the 25th anniversary party for the IMRC. More details on that are still to come. November the 2nd, International Real Wheel Film Festival celebrating historic racing documentaries at 5 p.m., which is on the eve of the Argetsinger Symposium on International Motor Racing History on November the 3rd and the 4th. And we will be there for those November events at the Glen. So we hope to see you there if you're interested in checking out the symposium this year. And we want to thank our friends at the IMRC for supporting us and working with us on various projects here at GTM and BreakFix throughout the year. Upcoming local news and events brought to us by CollectorCarGuide.net, the ultimate reference for car enthusiasts. Coming up for end of July and August. July 26th to the 29th, we've got the Mecham Auctions in Harrisburg. It's at the Pennsylvania Farm Show Complex in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. August 5th, we've got the 17th Annual Pleasant Valley Car and Truck Show put on by the Roarsville Volunteer Fire Department in Roarsville, Maryland. 
On August 5th and 6th, the SCCAWDCR Western Maryland chapters hosting the Polish Mountain Hill Climb in Flintstone, Maryland. On August 17th through August 19th, the Mika Monterey auction, which I believe Eric is going to be out in Monterey, California for Car Week out there. This is held at the Hyatt Regency and Monterey Hotel and Spa. I am confirmed to be at this event, so I will see people there if they're there for Car Week. There you go. Two events that I want to highlight just because I like these types of cars. Both of them are August 19th. The first one is the Rev Up for Rotary event at Adventure Park in Monterey. Rovia, Maryland, and then the VW meet at Mason Dixon Dragway in Boonesboro, Maryland. August 24th, the Audi Club North America Northeast region is hosting a summer concert social event at the Train Concert at Tanglewood in Lenox, Massachusetts. And August 26th, the Maryland Auto Detailing Car, Truck, Jeep, and Motorcycle Show. That looks like it's an all-inclusive show. At the Mount Pleasant Ruritan Club to support St. Jude's Children's Hospital. And August 28th through August 30th, Ferrari Club of America is having their annual meet in Bend, Oregon. And tons more events like these and all their details are available over at collectorcarguide.net. Thanks, Brad. And now it's time for the hbdejunkie.com trackside report. So what's coming up for the rest of the summer? By the time this aired, we did a little bit more travel as we headed to VIR for our annual Summer Bash track weekend with our friends from Hooked on Driving. If you're listening to this on the car ride home or you missed it, check out the rest of Hooked on Driving schedule this summer. And don't forget, as a thank you to all of our loyal supporters, you can sign up for your next Hooked on Driving event using the code BREAKFIX23 and receive a discount on your registration at checkout. So thank you again and tune in for more promotions like this throughout the year. I mentioned the VRG, the Vintage Racers Group, earlier, and if you're interested in checking out some of their events, here's what's left on the late summer-fall schedule. September 1st through the 4th, they're at Lime Rock for the Historic Festival. September 22nd through the 24th, they're at Watkins Glen. And November 17th through the 19th, they're at the infamous Turkey Bowl at Summit Point, our home track in West Virginia. Be sure to check out some of those VRG events if you're interested in running your spec Miata somewhere else. July the 31st through August the 1st, Audi Club Northeast Region has their HBDE at Watkins Glen International. So if you're looking to turn some laps at the Glen, you're still in time to register for that event. And as Brad mentioned, stay tuned next month on our YouTube and Twitch feeds for coverage from Car Week in Monterey, California. We're going to be at places like The Quail, Pebble Beach, the Garage Style Magazine Garage Tours, Meekum's Auction in Monterey, and two days at the Monterey Historics at Laguna Seca, just to name a few of the events we're going to be at. So be sure to keep up with us on social, on our websites, and live streaming throughout Car Week in August. In case you missed out, check out the other podcast episodes that aired during the summer break. We kicked off the summer with Rob Morgan from MPG and learned all about the GT Celebration Racing Series. We traveled back to the golden age of sports car racing with co-host Mike Carr when we interviewed Bob Gerritsen and learned about his friendship with Bobby Rahal and Brian Redman, along with how the infamous Apple 935 came to be. Tony Vialunga taught us what it's like to take stainless steel and turn it into a vehicle, and how he's using everything he's learned to help build the new gullwing-doored DeLorean Next Generation supercar. Author Jeff Willis stopped by to tell us about his new book, Human in the Machine, while John Summers talked about the influence of social media on racing. Kevin McDonald from Positive Talk Radio in Seattle interviewed our very own crew chief, Eric, about some of the lesser-told parts of the GTM and Breakfix origin story. 
We revisited with Bob Gillespie and learned more about the Green Grand Prix, while newsman Larry Jorgensen told us about his new book, Shipwrecked and Rescued. We went around the world with Elspeth Beard on her epic adventure as the first British woman to circle the world on a motorcycle. And finally, Danny Pilling from the Danny P on Cars podcast crossed over with Breakfix to, to talk about car culture from all parts of the globe. Thanks again to everyone that came on the show over the summer, and we'll see you in August. Thanks, Tanya. New Patreons for the month of July? We don't have any. If you're interested in supporting us, keeping up all the things we do around here, helping us keep the lights on, be sure to check us out, patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. You can sign up for as little as $2.50 a month. Every penny counts, keeping things running smoothly around here. We have a couple anniversary shout outs. Kerwin Webb and Mike Bowser are celebrating seven years with GTM and coming in a close second this month is one of the Latin lads, Steve Wade. He's celebrating six years with us. And if you want to know more about the Latin lads, there were an episode with them in what? It was our first season mm-hmm. we had them on. Great story about their cursed mini and just their fantastic lives. So go check it out. And if you'd like to become a member of GTM, be sure to check out the new Clubhouse website at club.gtmotorsports.org to learn more. And remember, for everything that we talked about on this episode and more, be sure to check out the follow-on article and show notes available at gtmotorsports.org. You can also join us on Discord by clicking the link on our website. And don't forget, new ways to get a hold of us. You can follow us on Threads, the new social media platform from Meta, the parent company of Instagram and Facebook. So let's make it a goal to get more followers on Threads than we have on Instagram. And we can do that with your help. Also, a quick shout out to our co-host and executive producer, Tanya. And coming up in October through probably January, I will be going out on paternity leave because we'll be having our second child. Yay! We'll have an opening for guest hosts that want to come on the show. If anybody's interested, please do not hesitate to reach out and we can find something for you to talk about. Or we'll conscript you one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. One way or the other, you will comply. Resistance is futile. (laughs) yes you will be indoctrinated like the reapers did to shepherd and mass effect and all the members who support gtm without you none of this would be possible i've had all day thinking about this episode like it's got to be like the backstreet boys the like break fixes back all right exactly how that goes that was studio quality right there This is why I could never be on America's Got Talent. I have to go overseas to really show off my You have to have talent to be on America's Got Talent. (laughs) Never going to happen. Your talent is the gift of gab. We're going to do this. Yeah. I want it that way. Tell me why. You are my fire. My one desire. Tell me why. Tanya's dying. That was very nice. (laughs) (laughs) Otro. Well, here we are in the drive-thru line. Me and her. Cars in front of us, cars in back of us, all just waiting to order. There's some idiot in a Volvo with his bright sun behind me. I lean out the window and scream, hey, what you trying to do, blind me? If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. 
Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization, and our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, Gummy Bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.